We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, Ezekiel chapter 37. This is Ezekiel talking. He was a prophet a long, long time ago. And he said this, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Sounds kind of spooky already, doesn't it? Like a graveyard. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter into you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew and skin covered them but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breathe, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land and then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand such an interesting and very strange sounding story. And God, not just to understand a story, but that we would understand so that we can understand more of you and who you are, and your heart, and your work in this world. God, would your spirit, just like we just read, be here, filling us up, that we too would have life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who likes birthday parties? Not as many as I expected, but okay. Uh, But it makes sense. The older you get, the less likely you are to raise your hand to that question. I get that. But a lot of young people, we love birthday parties, right? Again, I'm putting myself in the camp of young people. Uh, We got one coming up, right? Anna's going to have a birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Anna. Her brother Connor has a birthday today. 
that was not planned out well by my parents. But uh, so birthdays are awesome. I got to celebrate a 60th birthday yesterday. Yes, people still are alive and celebrating at 60 years old, kids. And so it was actually the guy who did my wife and I's wedding almost 19 years ago. That's how old I am. And we got to go and celebrate his 60th party. What he did is he decided we're going to have just a huge party where anyone's invited, and it's going to be all day from like sunup to sundown, from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. And we're going to have coffee in the morning, and we're going to have and donuts and bagels, and we're going to have like Chino Bandito. If you guys have never been, it's worth it. Uh, for lunch, and we'll have like pizza and ice cream at night, and we'll watch movies, and we'll have a bounce house, and it was like this big, huge thing. Like he had to go to all of his neighbors and get them to agree to do this. And so we supplied uh, with Cultivate. We took that cart right back there and set up in his driveway, and we did the coffee that morning. And it was just really cool. It was so fun to be a part of. Uh, the other person working with me there was like, this is just really fun to see. Like, I don't know these people the same way you do, but it's fun to see someone who is just like loved, you know? And like, that's what I want as I get older, just to have like friends around me, you know? And so like 200 people came throughout the day it was an awesome birthday party, especially because a couple years ago, he had an accident where he injured his head and he's had like neurological issues. And at first, like it was a miracle he lived. Then it was a miracle that he actually was able to get up and walk around and talk with people. And so to be able to celebrate that is like, what a gift of life that you're still here, right? How many of you have had bad birthday parties before? Yeah? Yeah. You don't have to tell the story right now and make your parents feel bad around you, right? But I, one of the, I, I have two bad birthdays that I remember that are tied for the worst, okay? One was I was asked to put the steak that was thawing on the counter, I was asked to put it in the fridge so it didn't spoil, and I forgot because I was outside swimming with my brothers, and so I got grounded, and I spent my whole birthday being grounded because I didn't put the steak in the fridge, So that was a fun birthday. The second one that I think actually might top that is I just got a slip and slide from my mom for my birthday. And it had like, it was one of those where the water fills in the sides and it creates like a little pool at the end, right? And it had like things on the sides as you're sliding that shot water at you while you're going. And I brought it over to my dad's house from my mom's and my stepbrother bit a hole in it so he could drink the water from it and ruin the whole thing. So that was maybe, maybe my worst birthday. I don't know. Um, I think Ezekiel has me topped, though. We started, we picked up this random passage here in chapter 37. So there's 36 other chapters before this with lots of story before it. And if you were to open up Ezekiel and read from page one, what you would find is you actually are introduced to Ezekiel on his 30th birthday. Only there's no party. There's no presence. There's no slip and slide. There's no pizza. There's no fun little hats, right? Ezekiel is sitting at this river. He's sitting on the riverbanks, kind of contemplating. And he just turned 30, but he's actually sitting on the banks in Babylon because a lot of his people were just captured from the Babylonians and taken into exile. So they're sent away from their homeland, Jerusalem, and they're now in this far land, and they're sitting there, And they're basically slaves. So not a fun setup for a birthday party, right? And his 30th birthday is very significant because at that time, he was actually in the line of the family that would become priests. And at 30 years old is when your priestly duties were set in place. Like you officially took on this role of being a priest 
over the nation of Israel at 30 years old. It's kind of interesting. Jesus starts his public ministry at 30 years old, huh? Interesting connection. So 30 years old, this is when he's supposed to have this big like ceremony thing and become a priest officially. Only they're not near the temple where his job would have been carried out. They're, they're not in their homeland. And he can't perform all the duties of a priest that he would do if they were back home. And he's away from some of his family and his friends and his loved ones. And so at 30 years old, God does something else in his life. Instead of him taking on the role of priesthood, God says, we're, we're going to do something else here. And God shows up and he gives Ezekiel a vision. And Ezekiel starts to become what's called a prophet. So instead of working in the temple as a priest, he goes sharing what God's words say to the people around him. And that's what a prophet does. So Ezekiel gets this vision, and it's this basically a picture of God's glory, the glory that should have been in the temple back in Jerusalem. And he's kind of confused, like, what's God's glory doing here in Babylon of all places? And God tells him, I've actually left the temple in Jerusalem. Because my people have sinned against me, because they don't worship me anyway, I've removed my presence from them in the temple in Jerusalem. But here's the thing, like God's glory doesn't leave his people, right? He shows up to Ezekiel and he gives him a word to say to his people. But he tells them that temple, it's going to get destroyed. It's going to be no more. And sure enough, that happens. Uh, the Babylonians come in, they destroy the temple and like, it's a tragic thing for all of God's people. And at this time, the nation of Israel had actually gone through what's called a civil war, which means they started fighting against each other. And so now there are two different kingdoms of Israel. There's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. So a north and a south tribe. And they were fighting against each other, they were enemies. So that's, we need to know that context when we open this up. We get this really strange story about Ezekiel standing over a valley and walking through where all these skeletons are, a graveyard with all these dried out rotten bones. And then God like miraculously putting ligaments on them and bringing the bones together and putting flesh over them and then breathing life into them. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And where is this place, right? But actually, what's really going on is Ezekiel is getting another vision as a prophet from God. He's getting a vision about what God's going to do with that kingdom and with his people. Because we're actually told right in the words there, he says, verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is a vision. He's giving him a picture. He's saying, what you're seeing right here is an image of what I'm going to do with the whole people of Israel, an entire nation, an entire kingdom, an entire group. And what God's going to do is breathe new life into them. They've been fighting against each other. They've been at war with brother and sister. They've been taken into captivity now by another land, by another nation. They aren't allowed to worship God the way that they have been told to worship God, but guess what? They weren't doing it anyway, and so this is why this all happened. And so they're sitting there in Babylon now, and God's saying, I will restore. I will bring life back to this people. 
And we're actually, we see some of that play out. And so even though this is a vision, which is like a dream when you're awake, right? Even though this is a vision, if we were to keep reading the rest of chapter 37, God gives him something to go do in real life now. He goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a stick and I want you to label it the kingdom of Judah. And I want you to take another one. I want you to label it for Israel. And I want you to tie them together. And I want you to walk around with these two sticks together in your hand. And when people are like, what are you doing? Like, why do you got sticks in your hand? I want you to tell them, this is what God is going to do. He's going to bring these households back together again. And so God would do this oftentimes with his prophets. He'd give them these crazy visions, but then he would give them a way to actually like act it out. It's kind of like theater. Has anyone like done a performance before on stage? It would be kind of like theater. They would be like, or if you ever go to like down to Mill Avenue or you're on the Santa Monica Boulevard in California and you see street performers, right? And they're out there like doing like crazy stuff and trying to get tips from people. That's kind of what a prophet might've looked like minus the tips, right? They wouldn't have a tip jar with them. But they're, they're acting something out so that they could tell people a story. And the story they're trying to tell is these are the words of God and what he's saying. God is going to bring the whole house of Israel back together. Now them being split apart and them being in captivity and slavery in Babylon, it felt like a death to them. And some of us might be able to relate to that. That sometimes like you're in just a place of life where things aren't what you thought they would be at this point. Or like, you know, things just didn't go your way and it, Maybe you experience a loss, right? A loss of, of something or someone. And you almost feel like dead inside. And this is how all of Israel felt. They would say this phrase, our bones are dried up, verse 11, and our hope has perished. We are cut off. They meant from that, they're cut off from their homeland, Jerusalem, the land that was promised to them. They're cut off from family, but also they meant we're cut off from the temple and we're cut off from relationship with God, the one who gives life. And if you feel cut off from the one who gives and sustains life, then no wonder you're starting to feel death, right? And so this image, this vision that Ezekiel gets, it really is first and foremost about Israel being restored to being God's whole people. But it doesn't stop there. That's the context for Ezekiel and his people. But listen, the spirit of God, the same spirit that Ezekiel got this vision from, the same spirit that God said would breathe new life into Israel, the spirit of God has preserved these words for us even still today. And sometimes what happens, in fact, oftentimes, when God gives a prophet a word to speak to people, there's a double meaning in that prophecy. What that means is, here's what Israel needs to hear today, Ezekiel, but also in that vision, I'm showing something better I'm doing for all the world one day. One day, this vision is gonna have a whole new meaning. What you see in that story is a graveyard full of dry, rotted, skeleton bones. And God brings them back together. He ties them together with tendons. He covers them with skin. And then he breathes the breath of life into them. Now, what does that remind us of in the whole story? 
Kids, have you ever heard a story in the Bible where God breathes life into a body to give it life? Go ahead, Liam. The very beginning, right? The very first man. Like these bones were sitting here rotting, left to turn to dust. But in the very beginning of all things, God formed out of the dust, out of the ground, like a clay model of a person. And it didn't have life until God breathed his own breath into it. And in the same way in this vision, we see this, that Ezekiel sees these bones come together, tendons grow, flesh cover it, but there's still no life because there's no breath. And then God says, prophesy, and I will put breath in them. So he says, so I prophesied as I had been commanded, right? And God sends wind. Now that word right there in verse nine, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. That's this old ancient Hebrew word called ruach. So everyone say ruach. Good job. That is a Hebrew word that can mean breath. It can mean wind and it can mean spirit. And it's the same word that is used in Genesis where Liam was talking about when God breathed his ruach into the man so that he was full of what gets translated to spirit, ruach. And so what we see here as he says, hey, prophesy to the ruach, the wind, prophesy and say, this is what the Lord God says, breath or wind, ruach, come from the four ruachs, winds, right? That basically just means every direction. North, east, southwest, from every direction, all this wind's going to come. And he says, from the four winds and ruach, breathe into these slain so that they may live. And so is it wind? Is it, is it breath? Is it spirit? What, what we know is it's this kind of invisible, unseen to us, life-animating force from God. And it doesn't actually give you life unless God sends it. And the breath of God himself breathing into the first man was actually what gave him not just breath so his lungs could pump, right? So his lungs could be filled, so his lungs could supply oxygen to his whole body and his brain. Not just that, but also a spirit that would animate him to allow him to think, to feel, to be able to listen to God, to take direction, or to rebel. And what we are told is that God himself has a spirit, a ruach, the Holy Spirit. It's actually the life animating force over all of creation. And that without the Holy Spirit, you may have oxygen in your lungs, but you don't have real true life. But God is willing to give his spirit, his breath of life to all who would come to him for it. Israel rebelled and they were in captivity, but God said, if you're willing, I would breathe new life into your bones again. And he wants to say the same thing to you and I today. Now listen to this. He also says this. In verse 12, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. 
You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and you come back to life. I put my spirit in you and you return to the land of Jerusalem. We're approaching Easter Sunday and what we're celebrating at that moment is the resurrection of Jesus. But Good Friday, we recognize first that Jesus himself went into the grave. Matthew chapter 27 has this crazy story, you guys. We started at birthday parties and now we're coming to zombies, okay? So listen up, this is crazy. Matthew 27 has this crazy story of something that happens when Jesus is dead and buried and then when he rises again. And so I wanna read this to you. In Matthew 27, Jesus had breathed his last breath and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when that happens, the whole sky went dark. And it's like the middle of the day. The whole sky went dark for three hours. And you're wondering, what in the world is going on? Now, in verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And that's a lowercase spirit right there because it's not saying he gave up access to the Holy Spirit of God. His breath, his ruach that allowed him, his lungs to pump oxygen was gone. He stopped breathing and he died. He gave up his ruach. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Listen to this. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, entered the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. You will know that I am the Lord. You will know I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you. You will live and I will settle you in your own land, Jerusalem. Jesus the Lord was put into a tomb. And when he rose again, a bunch of other tombs around Jerusalem opened up and bones came together and tendons grew and flesh covered and the spirit of the living God breathed new life into them and they got up and they waltzed right into Jerusalem and many people saw them. That sounds insane, doesn't it? But listen, that's exactly what God promised to Ezekiel thousands of years before. It's exactly what God has been promising to his people all along, all throughout the history of the world. And it's exactly what we see Jesus accomplish for us. Jesus was raising people from the dead even before he went to the tomb. There was a young girl who was dead and he told her to get up and she did. There was Lazarus who he called out and he said, come out, you're alive, you've just been sleeping. And he comes out alive. And all of these things were just little previews of what's going to come. Because those people, they, they were resurrected for a moment, but they lived a life and then died again. The people who we just heard about in Matthew, they walk back into Jerusalem, but they're not still walking around this earth right now. We got a little preview of what's going to happen. But then what over 500 people see is Jesus himself after he's walked out of the tomb. Jesus himself in the same body that he was born into on this earth, 
walking and showing himself to people and eating with people and sitting down and talking with people and they could feel the scars and the holes in his hands because the living breath of God, the spirit of God raised him back up to new life and he walked out of that grave. And now we're promised that for all of us who believe in him, listen, you may feel like a spiritual death in this life at times. You may feel like the world around you is crumbling and like you feel just kind of dead inside emotionally. One day too, your physical body is going to give out. You may make it to your 60th birthday party. You may make it to your 100th birthday party. But at some point, your physical body will also enter the grave. And what Jesus promises is that whether it's here and now in your emotional or spiritual drought of dry bones, but also ultimately one day in your physical death, if you trust in this same Jesus, he is the Lord who will breathe new life into you and raise you two up from the grave. If he could do it from dust from the ground at the very beginning of creation, and if he could do it with Lazarus, and if he could do it with these zombie things in Matthew 27, and if he could do it with Jesus himself, Jesus will also do it for you and I one day. One day we too will rise up from the grave. Our bones will come back together, tendons tying them together, flesh covering us, and the breath of life, the spirit of the living God himself will breathe into us and we too will live eternally with Jesus. If we trust in him, if we follow him, if we believe this story of what we just heard, that the one who did this is the Lord. He is the king over heaven and earth, over life and death, over all things, and he is king over your heart too. And so if we come to him, we don't have to face death. We don't have to fear death. We get to, as Psalms 23 says, we get to pass through the shadow of death, but we come out on the other side through resurrection. That's an Easter sermon, and it's not even Easter yet, because that's the truth we believe that gives us life for every single day. Amen? Let's pray, and then we're going to eat.